Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. Hello, everybody. It remains um, November the 12th, 2020 on now.tv. Of course, in America, we like to think everything is in the now, but stuff happened in the past. There is a history and there is the future. And today's show is about the long history, the long history of our species, the human species. Uh, back in 1992, some archaeologists in uh, Ethiopia, in the Great Rift Valley, found some interesting bones. And in 2009, those bones were put together um, to create uh, something called... Um, uh, Ardi, uh, claiming that these bones actually predates Lucy, another set of bones that uh, supposedly represented the earliest origins of the human species. Uh, my guest today, uh, Kermit Patterson, is the author of Fossil Men, which is a narrative about this quest, the academic arguments around the discovery of Ardi, and many of the other issues which... Um, are so interesting about the origins of the human species. Uh, Kermit, uh, tell me about Ardi. What attracted you? This is a crazy book. You spent seven years on it. You're based in Minnesota. You went to Ethiopia a couple of times. It's a 500-page book, very readable, but also deeply researched. Uh, what, what fascinated you so much about Ardi to dedicate seven years of your life to her? Uh well, I guess it is, you know, as I say in the introduction, the, you know, the ultimate mystery, where did we humans come from? And um, Artie was a discovery that um, uh, had been published at that point, but there had been no, uh, like, deeply researched history about it up until that point. And, and I'll be honest with you, I did not set out intending to write this book. I was actually working on another uh, book about some other aspect of human origins, but um, you're a crazy guy, Kermit. Obsessed well, uh, with human origins. What's what's your problem? What was it? Well, <laughs> yeah, life life would be much easier if I could just accept the creation story, uh, the biblical creation story, because then I would have yeah. you know, ten years of my life back that I didn't. Maybe that, you uh, should. Maybe rather than living in Minnesota, you better go and live in Nebraska or Kansas. Yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, so anyway, uh, this story was interesting to me because it was about uh, deep human history. You know, where did, where did we come from? And uh, there it was a story of, of human anatomy, which was what I was originally interested in. But it was also a story of discovery, a detective story uh, in the field. And in the field, um, this is not like, you know, hunting dinosaurs in Montana where you're in a you know, stable country and, you know, everything works. I mean, this was a country in the middle of turmoil. And this, you know, in the particular place where they were looking for fossils, the Afar Depression, um, 
was a wild place where there was still tribal warfare going on. And the people who did this research uh, really endured a lot of hardship uh, and physical danger to be there. And a lot of trials of just working in the desert where you know you, you have fine potable water, um, you have to, you know, truck in most of your food, except for the, you know, occasional goat you can buy from the local tribes. And you have to be constantly uh, worried about your physical security because there are actively raiders coming in. You know, tribal well, tell me, before we get to the, the stories about uh, the field, let's talk a little bit about Lucy and Ardy, because not everyone's going to be familiar with either sure. of these. Uh, uh, do we call them ladies? Is that, is that the right word? I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, you can call them just, you know, ancient members of the human family, a they, ancient members of the human species. Uh, for uh, those who the podcast, they human species see these, these images. But, sapiens. Yeah. Uh, uh, to me. But, uh, so there are other species that are right in our family, but pre-human. I mean, so, so, so um, let's, but uh, Kermit, let's let's just look at this image. For those yeah. watching, they will see a picture of Ardy and Lucy. Didn't look that different to me. Uh, tell me a little bit about Lucy. When was she discovered? Okay, uh, Lucy was discovered in 1974, also in the Afar Depression, um, and uh, that was discovered by uh, uh, American, French, and Ethiopian team. Um, the person who found Lucy was a, a fellow named Don Johansson and his uh, assistant, Tom Gray, was with him at the time. And uh, this was a, a very big discovery at the time because Lucy turned out to be 3.2 million years old. The next oldest skeleton at that point was a Neanderthal that was uh, less than a million years old. So this was this was big uh, discovery. Um, the uh, and so Lucy had a, a few revelations, but one was that um, she showed that upright walking came well before big brains and stone tools. There, up until that point, there had been a prevailing theory that big brains uh, and upright pas uh, posture sort of evolved as a, as a package. Um, and uh, Lucy showed that that was not the case, that we were upright for some reason long before we had big brains and started using our hands to to, to make tools, at least stone tools. Okay, so yeah. Lucy, Lucy was a great breakthrough. Yeah. Is Ardy just Lucy 2.0 or is, does Ardy represent, uh, does, uh, does, uh, does she represent, uh, Ardy represent a different paradigm of the origins of our species uh yeah she is what you would call a, well she's a different genus for one and basically what that means that she i'll use a couple scientific terms then i'll sort of unpack them for you but she's in a different adaptive plateau it basically means you know um which basically means she has a different package of adaptations that show you that she was occupying a little bit a, a different ecological niche than Lucy and Lucy's kin were. So I told you about uh, Lucy. Let me tell you about Artie. Uh, Artie was found in 1994. Um, Here's some images of Artie. Yeah. So that's an artist's recreation of what Artie would look like in, in the flesh. Uh, so Artie was found in 1994 uh, in about le less than 50 miles from where Lucy was found. Um, and, you know, at first the skeleton comes out of the ground and, um, the team 
knew they had something big, but um, the bones were all in a jumble. They were disarticulated. And, you know, the revelations of the discovery are not apparent for some time until they can. In other words, you're right. So between 19, so, so is it fair to say that between 1992 and 2009, uh, scientists put these bones together? Is that the narrative? Uh, yes, between 1994 and 2009, about 15 years. And so, uh, and so, how was Artie different than Lucy? Well, Artie surprisingly had a opposable toe. <laughs> that was one of the first big revelations. Um, she, uh, as they later determined, walked upright, but still retained this grasping toe for climbing trees. And so everyone knew that sometime in the deep past, humans came from an ape ancestor who climbed trees. Um, but um, that ancestor had not been found. So the surprising thing about Artie was this is the first uh, member of our family who conclusively has been shown to have that opposable toe, but yet appears to also been walking upright. So the thinking is that, that she was sort of this, this hybrid vehicle <laughs> of locomotion uh, and was you know retaining this sort of primitive adaptation of you know, opposable toe for climbing, but then also doing some kind of weird, uh, well, to us, weird form of walking. So she, she was the, the Prius model of, of, of our early species. Yeah. What does yeah. that tell us about the, the narrative of the human family tree? Does that explode that supposed myth? Uh, well, the, the family tree, it's, uh, th there's a lot one can say about, about that. Um, so I would say, first of all, what our family tree is, is still, it's an ongoing, um, it's a picture that is coming into resolution slowly with every discovery. And I still, I, I personally, I would think, I, I would say we still have a lot to learn. And what we say about this, if we were to interview 20 or 30 years from now, will probably be a bit different than a conversation we're having today. But um, so there's still, we can still use this metaphor of a family tree and, you know, uh, but I think we have to use the tree metaphor a little more cautiously than we used to just because of some of the revelations of modern genomics. And we can get into that later if, if you want. But uh, so anyway, so how, how did Artie kind of shape the family tree? Uh, um, she, uh, up to this point, there had been the expectation that as we went back deeper in time, we would find an ancestor that's more and more similar to a modern chimpanzee. Right. And the reason for that expectation is that um, uh, molecular science and then genetics showed this very close relationship between humans and the African apes and of the African apes, particularly close between humans and chimps and bonobos. Right. And so that's uh, the assumption that we, we came from chimps and bonobos, which... Adi explodes, right? I mean, Adi well, undermines that. Well, we, we share a common ancestor with chimps and bonobos. But, you know, just as we have been evolving, those species have been evolving for the same period of time. But a lot of, uh, and everyone knows that at some level, but there had been this idea maybe that chimps and bonobos and, you know, all the apes that are still living in nature had sort of remained more primitive than 
and and still gave us some approximation of what those so they got stuck away wrong, like. and Artie, Artie is getting so you're saying that the, the common narrative is that the chimps and bonobos got stuck and we evolved and and you're saying that Artie cast some doubt on that uh, well Artie, it uh, um no no one would quite say they got stuck i mean everyone knows that they've evolved but well, those were my but, words I, yeah I, but if there but, are any chimps or bonobos watching this uh please don't yeah yeah the, the chip and bonobo anti-defamation league may be calling us after the show is, <laughs> is done but uh but there, there has been this yeah this widespread sort of feeling that you know as you go back deeper in time we're going to get to something that's like a not a modern chimp but close to it or kind of a quasi chimp i mean you know jared diamond wrote this famous book called the third chimpanzee and in there he's making an argument that um uh yeah you could almost consider humans to be a third species of chimpanzee along with the the, the common chimp and, and the bonobo so <clears throat> the and then if you look at a lot of um old you know uh anthropology papers when they're talking about human evolution and they show a skeleton of like a modern human and then lucy then going back oftentimes you know we don't know what the common ancestor between chimps and uh humans had not been found yet so often they'll sort of stick a chimp skeleton in there just as like a placeholder uh to like represent like this primitive form that we came from and you know i'd see that over and over again when papers that want to show a skeleton or maybe show just like a foot skeleton or a hand skeleton or you know whatever part of the body they were analyzing so the interesting thing about Artie is that she she is surprisingly unlike that <laughs> um you know if you or a layperson were to see Artie, you would you would probably think oh that's an ape because you know lay people think that like all you know all apes sort of look the same but you know for the people that really study anatomy and who are really interested in this stuff and study it closely <clears throat> the differences are quite profound so what um what current animal does Adi most resemble well um she's kind of a mosaic of things like a lot of animals and um i mean in some ways yeah she is like a chimp in some ways she's like a human <laughs> So she's somewhere uh, between a chimp and a human. Are there other animals that she's well, like? <laughs> well, that, but okay. So actually, well, the main answer to that question is that she's not really like, she's a package of things that is just never, we've never seen in that combination before. And in fact, the researchers who, who discovered and then interpreted already actually have a paper that they call neither chimp nor human. And so she is something different. Before Something we get on to that research, uh, uh, Kermit, I'm curious, the father of all this, of course, is the 19th century uh, Englishman Charles Darwin. What would Darwin say about all this? Does this support or undermine Darwin's theory of evolution? Well, it's it supports a general idea of evolution. Um, you know, he he didn't really ha he didn't have a fossil record to go on so he, he was, didn't go to ethiopia right he, he went to he, he didn't go to ethiopia so <clears throat> he was right about a lot of things wrong about a couple of things which i can get into so darwin was right in that he identified africa as the likely origin of humans because he and as some other early anatomists did recognized the anatomical similarities between humans 
Did the he Africa. identify the the Rift Valley as the cradle of mankind? <laughs> the, the uh, not not that I am aware of, but that that area was pretty unknown to him. I mean, remember, this is an Englishman who's, you know, I mean, he goes on this beagle voyage, but he didn't go anywhere near Ethiopia. Uh, and this, Ethiopia and actually, the one the place in Africa, Africa, of course, that wasn't colonized in the 19th century by the Europeans. Yeah, and and, and uh, you know, one reason that it's uh, that uh, the Afar Depression, where this was found, uh, has been unknown for a long time is it was a very dangerous place to go. I mean, a lot of early explorers went there and died because they got killed by the local tribes. I mean, a lot of, um, uh, a couple of expeditions of Italians in the 19th century went and just wiped out to the last person. Um, there was a, a uh, another expedition of, uh, in the 1920s or 30s, I believe, uh, that went through and um, they <clears throat> lost a few people from predation by the Afar tribes. And, and there's this great book about this. It's called Hellhole of Creation, about this trek that this exploring party made. Uh, but it's it's kind of harrowing, you know, to, to hear about what they had to do to survive and how far they would trek to get water and there's you know constant fear of being raided. Um, so that's kind of a snippet of what the Afar was like well into the last century. And so it wasn't until the 1970s really that um, this area became a hunting ground for fossil hunters. And, and, that, uh, and, and, and this book, uh, Fossil Men, is, um, as much as it's about Ardi, it's about those fossil hunters, the real right. fossil men. Uh, the star of the book, if there is a star in addition to Ardi, is uh, a neighbor of mine, Tim White, a professor of integrative biology at uh, UC Berkeley. White is someone who's pretty controversial. What fascinated you? What drew you to Tim White, Kermit? Because you're, uh, clearly, you're clearly in some ways in awe of him, I thought, from reading the book. Uh, a lot of people are in awe of, of Tim. I mean, uh, he is a very uh, intense guy. Um, he is someone who lives his science more than anyone else that I've ever encountered. Um, but, you know, just as people are in awe of his acumen and his devotion, there's another body of people who find him distasteful because uh, he can be abrasive. He can be uh, merciless about falsifying other people's ideas. Um, he's a very empirical guy. So if he thinks someone is creating this little, uh, <clears throat> you know, castle in the air of BS, Tim will just kick out the bottom from under it with no compunction. Uh, he likes the, uh, um, uh, well, I don't know if he likes it, but he, he doesn't shy away, let's put it that way, from uh, intense, sometimes emotional debates about his science. So, so Kermit, so I, I get that, and I, and I get the fact that he's a divisive character and also very brilliant. Um, what are the core debates about Ardi that, uh, that, that, that White has stimulated? What, what, yeah. is still, what is still up in the air intellectually about her? And, and what does White argue that is so controversial? Yeah, okay. Well, I'd also say, for, I'll answer your question, but I'd also say that uh, there are a lot of people involved in this beside Tim. And so Tim is right. one of the leaders of his team. So there's a lot of other people. So anyway, but and to he took over, just to, just to 
add to that, White wasn't, of course, always in Ethiopia. He took over from a guy called Desmond Clark uh, on the Ethiopia thing. This image for people watching this, you, you can see an image of, of White with a cast of Adi. There's also a photo of Clark, who's a sort of a generation before White, um, uh, at an airport in, in, in West Africa. So these are the kind of 20th or 21st century intellectual colonialists in some ways. Okay, so uh, so what is controversial about Artie? Well, there's there's a few things, but I'll mention two in particular. Uh, one is this claim that I was describing earlier that Artie um, undermines this idea that we came from something that looks like a chimpanzee. Uh, the Artie team would say Artie proves that humans came from something that is surprisingly unlike a chimpanzee. It's a type of ape common ancestor that we've never seen before. Uh, there is a body of critics who believe they have uh, overstated the uh, overstated that case, who are still defending this sort of chip-like model uh, of the common ancestor of humans and chips. That's, that's one point of controversy. Uh, the second is re related, but it's kind of esoteric, and that is the question of what did the uh, common ancestor of humans and African apes looked like. Um, and one contention that the Artie team has is it's actually something that's, um, uh, uh, this gets into anatomical esoteric, so I'll try to make this simple, but they, they believe it came from something that was more uh, quadrupedal, um, more uh, a kind of ape that was common in the Miocene uh, epoch, you know, a, a, um, a fossil record of apes from the Miocene, but is very unlike the modern knuckle-walking apes. Kermit, you uh, you spent some time in Africa. You were there twice. Uh, you try to represent uh, Ethiopian science and the Ethiopian people in this, but of course it is a Western endeavor. But the book ends on a, on a high note in the sense that the Ethiopians themselves are developing not their own science, but their own scientists. Uh, tell me a little bit about your experience in Ethiopia and the history of Ethiopian science. So perhaps the next Tim White will be Ethiopian. Well, yeah, so this, this is kind of a parallel story through the book. I mean, uh, that the, the backbone of the book, if, if you will, is this story of the search and discovery and interpretation of this skeleton, Artie, um, you know, the, the fossil woman, if you will. Um, but there's a couple parallel stories, and one of those is the, the, the ascendance of Ethiopian scientists. And this was an important development because, um, you know, Human origins is a story set in Africa, but for a long, long time, the storytellers, the anthropologists, the archaeologists, were white Westerners, you know, Europeans, Americans. Um, and at the time my book begins, the um, there had been this sort of gathering resentment on the part of the Ethiopians that they had, had been excluded from this science. Understandably so, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so, and, I mean, the... the, the, the um, resentment on the part of the Ethiopians was, you know, these foreigners come in, they find all our, you know, fossils, archaeological relics, and in some cases our 
exporting them out of the country or not training local people. They're just using local people for labor. It's, and, a, it's, a, it's a sort of another another chapter in the Elgin Marbles saga, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, so the, in long story short, the Ethiopians felt like the Westerners were uh, treating them like an export economy. So uh, what happened was basically the Ethiopians, e even as the country was, you know, racked by revolution and civil war and, and going through a lot of political turmoil in the early parts of this story, um, the antiquities uh, people there were making a, a few, making clear a couple expectations of uh, the foreign scientists. One is they wanted them to train Ethiopians to be uh participants in the science at a phd level and then two <clears throat> they wanted um the foreign scientists to invest in ethiopian museum facilities so that would be like uh storage space for all these artifacts that are being found you know these fossils and, and uh, stone tools and also lab space and both those things happen and actually one of the uh, central characters in this book is a partner of Tim White, who's Ethiopian. His name is Berhane Asfa. And he um, is arguably the uh, father of paleoanthropology in Ethiopia. Now, over time, because of efforts of these people and a few other people, um, Ethiopia developed a small cadre of indigenous scientists in geology, anthropology, and archaeology. And now they actually have a decent sized core of uh, Ethiopian born scientists. Some are in the country, some are here in the US or in Europe. And uh, when I was at <clears throat> my last trip there, I was talking to the guy who is the head of the agency that oversees antiquities in Ethiopia. And he said, uh, he said to me something like this. He said, yeah, when I talk to my colleagues in Kenya or Tanzania or South Africa, they're all a little envious of Ethiopia because they don't have in those countries the same numbers of indigenous scientists who are represented. Um, so that, uh, but that's been a difficult struggle and, and believe it or not, it's actually been controversial within Ethiopia because, um, you know, for a whole number of, of so reasons. A comment, so, so in some ways the book ends on a, on a happy note on, on lots of levels. Uh, very briefly, final question. Um, you spent seven years of your life in this. You've written a wonderful book. It's 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 clearly a, a huge effort. In thirty seconds, what did you learn existentially having written this book? Standing back from the the details, did you learn anything about life as a human? <laughs> what did it What did it force you to rethink being Kermit Patterson? Uh, well, a couple of things. It made me, uh, it reminded me of the value of long-term endeavor. And that is true in science. And it's true in journalism. <laughs> um, there's a difference between um, uh, something that's tossed off quickly and something that is takes a lot of effort by a single person or, or preferably, you know, teams of people. Um, so that's that's one thing. Uh, it made me more appreciative of the role of science in understanding our world, uh, and you know, deeply respectful of the people that do that work because I know it's it's hard work, and I know it's hard to understand because I've spent many years, you know, uh, um, 
you know, learning these various components of, of science. And so, uh, yeah, I, I've, yeah, I've learned the value of long-term endeavor uh, and um, the value of science for, uh, and its importance in human history. So certainly, uh... Kermit Patterson's new book, Fossil Men, uh, which is really about women. I don't know why you didn't call it Fossil Women. Uh, I'm sure you've you've had that conversation. Uh, well, yeah, actually, well, it's it's actually a, it's a it's a pretty high testosterone book. I have to yeah, say, yeah. for better or worse. Um, yeah. Certainly, uh, Tim White is a high testosterone character. Um, t uh, Kermit's new book, Fossil Men, is, is itself, I think, an argument that shows the value of scientific research and the long term. It's, of course, a book about the longest term narrative of, of, of the species. In addition to Fossil Men, Tim, you're in your native Minnesota now in these strange times. What else should people be reading? Uh, well, I've, um, I'll recommend two, two books that I just happen to be thinking about right now. And if you ask me a month from now, I might have two different books to offer you, but I'll, I'll just mention these two. Uh, one is Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, mm. um, that I find interesting reading in, in the wake of doing all this research. And we have multiple invitations out to Isabel to come on the show, but uh, no, uh, no okay. success. So Isabel, if you're watching, we want you on our show to talk about your, your book. Yeah, so that's one book, and then uh, the other one is has been out for a while, but it's uh, Daniel Kahneman's uh, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Um, that's a book I've read and reread, and uh, it's just interesting to see um, it, it, an analysis that points out all the ways that we can fool ourselves. Uh, and, and the ways that we can fool ourselves includes, you know, lay people like us, but also scientists. Uh, and it shows, you know, the difference between these sort of intuitive thought and then the more effortful, long-term, you know, grindstone effect. Uh, and, you know, the latter, I think, is what uh, what powers science, that slow, that slow thinking, where you sometimes have to discover things that are, in fact, counterintuitive. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure to visit us at lithub.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.